Hi, and welcome to Driving Leadership. I'm David Foster. I'm Michael Richard Metcalf, Jr. And I'm Sean Pete. We've all had that sinking feeling going to work, leaving a meeting, maybe even in the middle of the night, that sort of summarizes out as, you know, I should probably talk to him or her about that. We've also been caught at different times where somebody wants to talk to us about something usually unexpected and somewhat uncomfortable. And so today we want to ask some questions about what is a tough conversation? What makes it tough? Why are they important? What's the consequence of not having a tough conversation when you know you should? And what are some practical ways to benefit from those tough conversations and make them better? Well, that's why I let off with my full government name, because uh, generally speaking, I knew I was in trouble or in heading toward a tough conversation with one of my parents when they called me by by that. So um, <laughs> I'm sure people can, can relate. Yeah, I think tough conversations is just sit downs that are are necessary, but that you do not look forward to. Right, social so human beings were social creatures, right? We want to connect and counter and and uh, and share time, but the tough conversations are the ones that keep you up at night. They're the ones that even though that you know you have to address it and your team will be better for it, there's still a, a level of trepidation that that sits in front of it and prevents you from moving towards it. Yeah, I think a lot of you know. We, the definition of tough could go in different ways for this, but a lot of it's just when it's uncomfortable and generally related to that is there's uh, there's fear, you know, we lose the relationship where you get fired, you know, if you're the one that has to, you know, be on maybe the employer side, if you're, um, you know, in the other way, you know, um, is it, uh, excuse me, that'd be employee side. Uh, if you're the employer, you know, sometimes the tough conversations don't happen because of maybe your ego or pride or, you know, there's all kind of reasons. But um, my, my my leading quote is that politeness is the poison of collaboration. That's from Edwin Land. And so many times we try to skirt around these things thinking that we're being kind. But, you know, sometimes those tough conversations are actually the glue that we need to keep our team together. Yeah, I agree. I've been accused of a lot of things being polite has not been one of them yet. <laughs> and I think tough conversation represents something that's unsolved and it's often unspoken, although sometimes it can be representative of things that you've talked about, but you haven't really addressed directly. But I think there's a silver lining to conversations that are tough, that we feel the need to embrace. And that is, it represents a situation that we want to make better somehow, or at least make less bad. So if you've got a situation at work where something is uncomfortable, or it's not performing the way you want it to, or you think there's an issue, you really want to make that better. And sometimes the only way is a tough conversation. No, I agree. I think what muddles the water, David, is... You know, when we when you move into a tough conversation with someone, it's it's one of two things. It's either task conflict or it's relationship conflict. 
right? And, and oftentimes, like you said, there, there's something that needs to be improved. That's the task conflict part, right? So we move into that space, but we're worried about the relationship conflict because someone might take it the wrong way or someone, mm -hmm. you, you know, they might think that we are attacking them when all we're trying to do is improve their part and, and their role on this team, right? I think one thing that young leaders get wrong is that when you, you know, they think that high-performing teams are devoid of conflict, devoid mm. of, you know, these type of conversations, and they're not. High-performing teams are rife with these conversations. And if you're on a team and everyone is agreeing, that's not harmony, that's apathy. Mm. And, and you have to move into these conversations in order to, it's there, it's festering. Are you willing to, to walk into that conversation or not? But truly understanding and coming from a place where I want to address the task conflict part and not the relationship conflict part. And there's a sweet spot to that. It's, you know, it's right now in the middle. It's, uh, it's keep it factual, keep it simple. Uh, don't be overly passive, you know, to where that, you know, sometimes that, uh, that sandwich method, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a compliment first. And then I'm going to tell you what I, the conversation I really need to have. And I'm gonna try to sandwich it. You know, people see that coming. Um, I, I just say, shoot people straight, have the conversation, be assertive, don't be passive, but you don't have to be aggressive about it either. You know, so much of conversations happen with the tone of the conversation, regardless of what the message or content is. Right. And don't let your emotions hijack the thing. Like that's, that's an, that's where these things go sideways is we let our emotions hijack these conversations, whether that's the deliverer of the, the, the constructive criticism or the receiver, mm -hmm. right? So we take it as a personal front and then that's when these things go sideways, mm -hmm. right? So when we move into these, we're always thinking worst case scenario, I'm going to tell this person this and they're going to lose their mind or, you know, and then when you do, you know, when, when you phrase it in such a way where they're sometimes they're like, Wow, thank you. I, that was a blind spot for me. I didn't see it. And you're almost like, oh, okay, great. I'm glad we had this conversation. Mm -hmm. Right? I think top of mind is all the ways this could go bad. And again, it's another thing that impedes us from just moving into these conversations. I think that a tough conversation necessarily represents something that's a, a conflict, whether it's opposing decisions or beliefs. And that can happen regardless of whatever the power differential is between the two people. But there's also this resistance. There's a resistance to having it. There, there are heightened emotions. And Sean, I think you make a good point saying we can't let emotions run our mouth because usually we end up in a fight or jail or married. So we can't do that. But we can't ignore the emotions either. So if you've got somebody that you need to talk to for either your reasons or their reasons, and you don't pay attention to the emotions and you just only give them the facts and don't recognize that tone, like you're talking about, Mike, that conversation can go really sideways because you're not really addressing that there is a problem. Right. I think one of the key things you said is, is you're up for a fight. Right. Anytime we go into a difficult conversation as a fight, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. Mm -hmm. Right. If, if we go, you know, if, if, if we enter into that hostile thinking, you know, it's going to be a war, we attack or we retreat. That's it. That's the only options we leave ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So moving into these conversations, what instead of thinking we're going head to head, going to war, what if, uh, you know, Adam Grant was talking about moving into these like a dance mm -hmm. so that you can 
you know, you can sidestep and you can sway and you can do these things. Um, and together you can choreograph a way forward. When you do that, when you enter into this conversation and allow for, you know, the fluidity of that, that exchange, oftentimes you come out the better for it. But like you said, most of us gear up for a fight. Yeah, I think we gear up for a fight because we're trying to protect our vulnerability. We're trying to protect our point of view. And the reality is that when you talk to somebody who is looking at the same set of circumstances as you are, but they reach a different conclusion, there's the possibility that at least part of what you believe or that you've decided might be wrong. And that's pretty, that's pretty difficult to face. And so when you talk about we're gearing up for a fight and a difficult conversation, that is exactly the wrong mindset. We don't want that. We want to be patient with ourselves and vulnerable and be able to have enough presence to really listen to what the other person has to say, because if you're going to work with somebody, you need to be able to form a connection to them. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but if you, if you disrespect that connection, well, how are you going to work together? Uh, some would say that having the art of having tough conversations is a skill. Uh, it's something that you're not born with, but have to, to work to improve upon. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's something that, yeah, I think you get better at it. I don't think that you ever get to the point where it's like, oh, great, I'm going to have a tough conversation today. Like, I, I think all the, the emotion that you feel on that side of it never subsides, right? You still, it still keeps you up at night and you, you know, am I crafting this the right way? Am I moving into this, you know, correctly? Um, so I think you might get better at it, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that you're born with, with David, what do you think? I think tough conversations define your relationship, hmm. you know, the willingness to have them and the willingness to grow from them really determines whether your relationship moves forward or whether it's really just sort of like casual, like, yeah, I always wave at the mailman. That's our relationship. Right. But if you've got ideas, if you've got shared goals, if you want to learn and grow, you have to be able to embrace that tough relationship. And I do think that if you approach them regularly, you probably do get a little bit better. Maybe your anxiety level comes down a little bit and you learn more about yourself. But, you know, I, I think I kind of agree with you, Sean. I, I don't think it's you get to later in life and say, Oh, great. On Tuesday, we're going to have this knockdown, drag out argument about our kids. I can't wait. <laughs> Unless you're a psychopath. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, you, you say psychopath like it's a bad thing. <laughs> Just the lack of empathy part. The rest of it's yeah. okay, I guess. What? That would, that would uh, describe most of the CEOs these days, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for another one. Uh, it sounds like you guys are talking about the consequences of not having these tough conversations a little bit. And I remember talking to a friend of mine about another friend one day about something. And I was like, should I bring this up? Am I the right person? You know? And then he said, well, you're thinking about all the external things. He's like, do you love this guy? I was like, sure. 
He's like, well, then if you know something that could help him, even if it's tough to withhold the truth from him would be unloving. So if you care about him, have the conversation. And I was like, dang, all right, that's uh, okay. I guess I'll have the conversation then. Right. And so, uh, but that kind of reframed for me, this idea of, you know, some of going into it with the mindset of like, okay, we're going to have to battle. Sometimes it's the most loving thing you can do is just have a, have a tough talk. But Mike, what was it that made you resist the idea of having that tough conversation? Why, why was it something that your friend said that made you say, okay, now I'm, I think I should have it? Because I think it, it almost sounds like if you didn't have that conversation with your friend, you would have thought maybe you can go along a little bit longer without talking. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, it was about a relationship that this individual had that I, I just knew stuff about it that this person didn't, right? And so, but then that person's, they're happy that, you know, I'm like, I'm going to ruin a, a really good thing for them. Um, You're going to prove they don't that know. ignorance is bliss. Basically. Yeah, I was just going to say there was a bliss to, you know, you, you see people, they're happy, they're operating in a way in which you know them to be, you know, living their best lives and they're happy, they're, they're enjoying it. They're maybe not necessarily comfortable, but they're content. And to uproot that, sometimes people don't want that. Sometimes, sometimes people prefer bliss, you know, and so it's like, well, should I be the one to decide that? You know, I don't know. But in this conversation, he was like, well, I, would you want to know? And I, I was like, yeah, I would. So I was like, well, then, then you should probably go for it. And would you also, well, let's say this, would you also comment on the way in which you brought some of these difficult truths to light for your friend? Like, did you just like post it on his Facebook wall and see if he read it someday? <laughs> yes, I uh, sent a DM. Yeah, it's easier. <laughs> Um, from a, I, it, from a burner account. They didn't even know it was me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, man, you kind of like Sean said, you know, you, it's a dance. It's a, it's like a sixth grade social weight into it. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Like, Hey man, this is, this is really hard for me to talk about. Um, but I just would like to make you aware of X, Y, and Z. And if, if you want to know more about that, I'd love to continue it. But if you don't, that's fine. Right. Just kind of like we kind of talked about with the, you know, active listening, you know, giving people a way out, let them decide if they want to continue on, but just at least letting them know, Hey, here's some things that you probably should know that I know you don't that I think maybe could change how you view some things. You know, and I just think, yeah. And telling that person, Hey, look, I'm committed to, to, to your success and, and the success of this relationship. Right. And, you know, again, not sandwiching like Mike said, but like just, you know, kind of peppering in some things that it's like, so they know it's not like this, you have their best interest in mind. Right. So again, how you set this up is, is so important. Um, how you do it, you know, how you do it. Right. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is so many of us would rather be ruined by praise than saved by negative feedback or the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, th that's why, you know, these, that's what, but that's what makes these hard, right? It's the human nature part that makes this hard. Mm -hmm. 
you know, one thing that is related to this in my mind is that Carl Jung was really critical in sort of connecting terror and enlightenment. And that related to, Sean, what you always say about, you know, everything good is on the other side of hard. You could say that enlightenment is on the other side of terror. And so maybe, Mike, when you talk to your friend or the five minutes beforehand, you wouldn't describe it as terror, but it may not be that comfortable. But the idea that whether it's you facing the terror or your friend, that there's a benefit to the other end of that. And Sean, I think what, what you're saying is a critical piece of the how part of having these difficult conversations. And if you're, a, if you're in a business situation and you're a leader or you are talking to your leader, you wanna make sure that what you've always done and said represents, I want the best out of this situation for everybody and making that clear during the tough conversation is probably a pretty good thing. And David, those might be the toughest conversations. Right? When you have to have that hard conversation upwards. Yes. You know, I, I, I've had one of those. And it was a really, um, it, it, it was a really awful, awful <laughs> subject matter. La Mike's laughing because he knows exactly what it was. And I don't know how much detail I can go into, but like, the, the, Less our than leader, you think, his, probably. Yeah, yeah, you're right. His <laughs> his behavior was destroying the team uh, to the point where I, I called him on it. And I, I went to him one on one, man on man, and he thanked me in the one on one meeting. Then he gathers the team up, screams at all of us that we're gossip queens and all this other stuff. We're and then, tear families apart and all kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I, I found this out later on. Um, spent the next nine months trying to gas me. Uh, so I was lucky that I had a good run there. I didn't make any mistakes because he was actively trying to fire me because I had taken on this difficult conversation, extremely difficult subject matter, and uh, it was almost almost to my peril. But those are probably the hardest ones going up because, you know, think a lot of leaders, right? Like they don't, the higher you climb in any type of company, all your feedback loops start getting severed. Right, because no one wants to challenge you and challenge the way you think. Don't they um, call that the the Putin syndrome? <laughs> I think so. He's doing a real nice job over there, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about him right now? Is this going to get censored? <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking society really doesn't encourage you to have tough conversations, right? Like there's no seeming reward. You know, just the way you deliver information or talk socially now through websites and posts and comment sections mm -hmm. it's not a conversation it's one way so mm -hmm. it's just you this is what i think and then i'm out you know there's no room like sean said for feedback and so i think it's something as leaders we need to actively be thinking about if i'm on a run of two three four months and i've not had one single conversation am i am i really leading Am I really challenging people? Am I really doing my, my actual job? Not my title job of just being the boss, but am I actually empowering and inspiring this organization? And, and I don't think you can do it without, without it being tough. Yeah, you know why? Because of that one way thing that you're talking about, right? Whether it's through social media or whether it's through cultural habit now, 
I say my piece as a leader and everybody nods and at the most they say, I just want to reiterate what Mike said, you know, that don't miss that point, that kind of thing. But there really isn't any back and forth. And I think there isn't any back and forth because that back and forth threatens our identity, especially when you have a conversation as a leader with somebody on your team, you have to go way, way, way out of your way to make it okay that that person on your team or anyone on your team can say, you know, I have a different point of view, or I see this differently, or can we think about this differently? And as a leader, you have to make that more than okay. Doesn't mean you have to agree, but it has to be okay that that happens. Not only for the health of your relationship, but the health of relationships within the people on the team, because they will imitate whatever it is that you do, by and large. It is. And, and that was a time when we had intellectual humility, right? Yeah. Like we would, um, what well, we did, you know what I mean? Like we would, we would conversate with other people, not to affirm our beliefs, but to evolve them, right? What, right. maybe I might learn something from this person, but now it's tribalism. It's like we said, it's a war. It's throw on the armor, grab your, your sword, your Braveheart sword, and just go charging across the field until you meet the other person. And you know what I mean? Like there's no, um, I don't know what it is. No grace. There's no, there's no like, huh, you know, like going into a conversation like that and allowing someone to, to, um, to uh, again evolve your beliefs you know we had a a young tire changer one time and again tough conversation and it was coming up because he was coming up to us and he said um i'm speaking on behalf of some of the others on the team and we don't think it's fair that you and mike don't allow us to celebrate when we do good pit stops Right, because NASCAR NASCAR pit stops are it's a humbling business, right? You mm -hmm. can have fifteen great stops and lose a race on the last stop, and then people in the shop aren't going to talk to you for a month. Yeah, because that's um, happened. That has happened. Um, <laughs> so he came up to us, and we could have instantly dismissed him, right? Pretty junior to the team, and you know he made a case, and Mike and I said, you know what? Um, come back tomorrow, and we'll give you an answer. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we started talking about it and started to analyze. Okay, well, why do we have these in place? And his argument was compelling enough that we actually changed how we thought. You were allowed to celebrate after that. Um, but we were open to that idea. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't, we weren't fenced off. We weren't, you know, and it took a ton of courage for that kid to come up to us and ask that. Um, but he was right. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think there's got to be a willingness, that willingness to, whether that's collaborate or, or understand, I just, I think that's, it's diminishing rapidly. And I think that the way you describe this situation, you didn't associate uh, a young kid on the team sharing his opinion or question or, or argument with you and Mike being cut off at the knees and, and you know, completely threatened as individuals. You were still the leaders of the team and you were sort of like discussing things on its merits and you were respectful that makes all the difference in the world but if you're the leader sort of like you described that you had to have the tough conversation with who is obviously threatened as a person because of your shining a light on his behavior that was affecting the team 
well, that's, that's not going to work out very well. And case in point, you're no longer working with that person. Right, right, right. Nor is he, he's no longer working in our business, right? Because he just, again, it, it goes back to the, you know, would not be saved by negative feedback, right? So took that set of behaviors somewhere to another team and then took that set of behaviors to another team until there were no more teams left, yeah. right? And, and that's just it. And, you know, going back to Mike's point, like if you care about someone, those conversations are necessary, you know? And, and it's something that, that, we have made a point of, you know, we call it running towards the fire because mm -hmm. it, it is uncomfortable. You know, and what's so interesting is when we get into these tough conversations, you know, no one's allowed to come into our offices and, and complain about someone else because we made it pretty clear early on. We would just be like, okay, hold on one second. You got a problem with Marshall? Hey, hey, Marshall, come in here. Mm -hmm. And then we would sit them down. And our mistake was we sat them down face to face. And we're yeah. like, guys, you know what? We're going to solve this. And, and, Nine times out of 10, the whole thing came down to a misunderstanding yeah. and we could shake hands and leave the room. Mm -hmm. like, like really. And I think, I, I think that's why they're so necessary. Now our mistake sitting them head to head, when you start looking at our biology, that's how we would meet an adversary, right? Face to face. Like we would, like I said, be going to war with them. So now when that goes on, what we do is we sit them side by side. Because, you know, going back to our tribal biology, we'd hunt side by side. And that was someone in your, you know, in your tribe, in your clan, in your, you know, a, a friend instead of a foe. So um, a big part of what makes these so difficult is, is the story machine between our ears, right? We ramp it up and we're like, this is going to be awful. This is going to be terrible. This is going to be, and nine times out of 10, um, it, it doesn't go like that. Well, that story machine that you mentioned, I think is really important because when we, when we voluntarily face our fears, it's actually a completely different neurological circuit that we process those fears and the, and the corresponding actions with that leads to a better sense of ownership and success, right? This is basically like exposure theory. So if you're afraid of something, expose yourself to it in small, safe increments until you can handle it and it no longer destabilizes you. And mm -hmm. so this is, I think, a good thing as a leader to model for your team, but it's also a good way to help people who are in your organization that don't have the ability to have those difficult conversations, but they obviously have different views because they come out in other ways. If you expose those people to not only your behavior, but you know, ask them probing questions or put them in a position where it's okay for them to say, to say what they think, that makes it a little easier for them to have their own difficult conversations when the time comes. Yeah, and I, I mean, you're intentionally disarming them mm. you know or you're just trying to create some ease around it I, we uh did a employee uh team-wide survey uh, a couple weeks ago and just kind of got the data in a couple <laughs> a couple of days ago mm -hmm. and some of it's pretty harsh for upper management and i'm not so sure that i'm not in on some of it but uh as i sent it to the leadership group one of the first things i said was just hey guys don't take any of this personally just read it objectively it's how we're going to get better. And so just trying to, you know, I think that's a, 
a practical point of it. Tough conversations don't have to be personal. It can be like Sean said, it could just be about our task, about our team, about our relationship, just something that we need to work on. And I think we would all say we need to work on all these things. Our teams can get better. Our relationships can improve. This is the process of how that happens. Well, you must not be a leader because you're expressing some sense of humility. So if you're a leader for a little bit longer, that humility actually goes away because you're actually right about everything. 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 <laughs> so what happens when you don't have the, the tough conversation? Man. Well, we talked about the challenger last time, right? I mean, uh, you know, obviously that's a, a morbid, you know, uh, very sad and tragic story but i think there are a lot of moments for companies where you could look back to or relationships divorces you know losses for a big team where somebody just didn't bother to bring something up that they probably should have i mean i can see that i can see that if sean didn't have that that tough conversation with his boss another spaceship would have blown up <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> You know, it would, it's like, like you never say, you never buy an old place, like an old house and be like, oh, it's no big deal. There's a, just a little bit of termite damage. Like you never say that, right? It's mm -hmm. a full on five alarm. Let's pull the walls down. Let's get rid of it. That's what this is, right? If, if you leave something to fester in your organization that you know is going on, um, it doesn't go away and it doesn't get smaller. And all you're doing bigger. is you're... Oh, absolutely. And all you're doing, the more you delay it, the more difficult the conversation is, right? We, we yeah. go all the way back to our first episode. We talk about how culture is only as, as great as the worst behavior you tolerate, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes we'll let something slide because we don't want to get in that hard conversation, mm -hmm. right? Which if we just did it at the start, right? It was, it was a one-on-one -on -one with someone, something pretty quick, probably that they didn't even realize they were doing. Mm -hmm. But when we don't engage in these difficult conversations, it grows exponentially to the point where it, we can barely wrap our arms around it by the time we're willing to address it. And then the, the other kind of part B to that is, is that sometimes people find out that you knew something and didn't bother to say something mm. and that erodes trust. Right. And so when we talk about leaders, I mean, craving for desperately pursuing efficiency, that all comes to, down to trust. And, if I know that you, my boss, knew something that could have saved me time, money, career, suicide, blah, 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 and you just let me, rant, you know, waltz right in, sashay right on into it, <laughs> I, I, my, uh, my respect for you is going to go down. And, and I've experienced that. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know if that coach really had my back. You know, I don't know if that boss really had my back. And so here's an opportunity that I probably could, you know, do to help him out, and I'm not going to do it. And so I think that's the other consequence. I just had a conversation with somebody where his trust was completely shaken because long story short, his boss's boss told him that, you know, they were looking to get rid of his boss and to keep doing his job and, you know, told him a few things that he shouldn't know. And so, you know, one of his questions to me was, well, what do I do? And not only is it the absence of a tough conversation from his boss's boss, but it's also a, a call to arms for him 
to call his boss's boss back and say, I'm in a difficult situation. I can't know these things and still do a good job for the company. And so I think we have a choice here. And that choice is either you change, you know, your direction and we'll just say, okay, that didn't happen. Or you're going to have to tell my boss that, that you told me this. Mm. And that is just a really horrible position to be in. And it's a really horrible thing for a leader to do. And so not having that tough conversation between his boss's boss and his boss, hopefully this, everybody can follow this, but telling other people in the company to sort of like make the, make that boss less popular. Well, you know, you don't know, but Mike shaves his head. Like, don't, don't tell him you found out from me, like that kind of thing, right? It's really, really difficult. And I think the other thing that happens is that if you know that you should have a difficult conversation with somebody, but you kind of want to avoid it, well, you start to adapt to not having it. And your, your behavior kind of changes and people can imitate that behavior. And then that makes not only the difficult conversation more difficult, but it makes it less accessible. Yeah, I think we, we've probably all been on teams where we've seen the extremes of that. The teams where, like what you're saying, David, where you kind of just, we'd rather just sweep it under the rug mm -hmm. or um, make a, you know, like a soft email about it to kind of casually address it. And then, like you said, it becomes this thing to where we just, we just don't have tough conversations here. And then we've been on the other side where it's like, hey, we're going to, if something's wrong, we want to know about it. Let's talk about it. And people, you know, will tend to gravitate towards whatever the environment dictates. I mean, that's just kind of how life works a lot of times, mm -hmm. especially corporately. So, uh, you know, I, I perf you know, personally, I've just seen a lot more growth in the environments where we could talk about things, even if it was tough. Yeah. And I, David, I think, like you said, when you when you do that and your behavior changes to adapt, to allow it. By the time you have to address it, you've cut your legs out from underneath you because you, mm -hmm. now you approach it from a place of um, hypocrisy, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, uh, you can't be like, oh, well, we don't do that here. Well, you just allowed it for the last two years, mm -hmm. right? So how, you, how can you even address it without being complicit in the whole argument, you know? So, so you're absolutely right. And, and again, it, it's, it's another casualty of not, not just wading right into this immediately as soon as you see something. It's like I said, it never gets easier. So if it, if it never gets easier and there are all these negative effects to not having it, let's, let's throw out the, the last question. What can we say to people that will help them go through this process? And since I'm the resident negative person, I'll start out my my response with what doesn't work and what doesn't work is like rushing through it. Like, can this just please be over yet? I, I, I want to blurt this out and then go run and hide under my desk. The insincerity, the false apologies are things that don't work. Geez, Mike, I'm sorry. You're really offended that I did this. You might want to think about why you're so offended. I've got stuff to do. I'll see you later. Yeah. And the other thing that doesn't work is 
the lack of vulnerability or the ability to change your mind. If you've got new information or a different way to do things, or somebody's really trying to collaborate with you, if a young team member brings something to you saying, hey, what about this? You have to be open to it. There's the negative. I'll let you guys start off with the positive. All things we've kind of touched on, but just to summarize, don't take it personally. You know, uh, feedback, critical feedback, you know, we talked a little bit, I think last time on just how race car drivers use spotters and, you know, we have all have blind spots in life. You know, there's just certain things that we cannot see or because we're focused, we're just not thinking about. And a lot of times those conversations are how we, we see those blind spots, ways that we can improve. So don't take it personally, take it as an opportunity for growth. Um, catch it early, you know, the, the fire that's, you know, 10 square feet, it's a lot easier to put out than the one that's a 10 square miles. Um, and that's what happens when you left tough conversations that need to happen, just go on that fire just grows. And so catch it early. Um, admit that it's a tough conversation for you. I think you talked a little bit about vulnerability there, David, and just saying, Hey man, this is a, this is a tough, tough talk for me. You know, we have a great relationship. We're good friends. Usually our conversations are pretty light, but this one isn't. And so, uh, you know, bear with me if I kind of fumbled through it a little bit, but I just, I'm having this because I think we need to have it, you know? So just, you know, owning that. And then, um, like with Sean, that example earlier with the, the young tire changer coming to us and, and challenging us, we talked about it amongst each other, you know? So just have, have that, that friend, that mentor, that colleague that you trust that says, Hey man, I just got ripped apart by, <laughs> by so-and-so. Uh, what do you, uh, what do you think? Do you think some of that's true or, you know, how, how, help me process this, you know, but sometimes having somebody to talk through is, is super, super helpful. And then the last thing is just, you're going to have to deliver bad news as, as leaders. You're going to have to have tough conversations, challenge people. Like I said, if you're not doing that regularly, I would maybe relook at your job description, but you can still have these conversations in a way that inspires people to keep pushing keep digging. Like the way you deliver it can still be, Hey, we're a team here and this is all about growth and collaboration. Yeah. And I would end, you know, again, we talk about, you always look at, at the problem, not the person, right? The, again, going back to the difference between relationship conflict and task conflict, it always has to be the task conflict piece, right? Um, move into that space and dance don't fight you're not going to war you're trying to solve a problem mm -hmm. right so it's understanding the human factors that drive performance addressing those so that you come out of that relationship that conversation in a better place and it's never going to be easy but we're lucky because everything great lies on the other side of hard so <laughs> you know the, the 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 beauty about leadership man is is every difficult decision you make, every difficult conversation you have to make in leadership, you're rewarded with the opportunity to have another difficult conversation with mm -hmm. somebody. So mm -hmm. embrace it, uh, know it's necessary. And, um, you know, if you want your organization to be brilliant, um, if you can, you must. Mm -hmm. Got to wade into them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree with all those ideas. I want to add a few things. One of them is a sense of self curiosity, hmm. uh, a sense of almost, you know, looking at yourself or negotiating with yourself as you hear these different ideas, or even as you consider 
having that tough conversation. Boy, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to this person about this. Well, well, geez, why not? Right. That curiosity can go a long way. I think another thing I would add is mixing or confusing empathy and, and assertion. So you want to mm. empathize with somebody that whether they're in this position and it's difficult for them to talk about it or hear about it, or you want to empathize with what they might be coming from. How, why do you feel this way? Right. Or how did you reach this conclusion? That doesn't mean that you don't have to, that, that doesn't mean that you have to give up your own position. You can still assert your own position in a very kind and respectful way. Yep. And remember that, you know, the other person, they can see things in a way that you necessarily can't because they have a different perspective, a different experience. That doesn't mean if they've got behavior that's tearing the group apart, that they should continue on with that behavior, but refusing any possibility of being able to empathize or at least respect that they have a different position or they've come to a different set of conclusions means that you're not going to be able to connect. You're not going to be able to work together. Hmm. And I think in really extreme situations, that's very difficult. But if you're dealing with a team and you're collaborating with something and you've, you've got somebody that comes to you and says, can we think about doing it this way? Because, you know, this is the conclusion I've reached, or this is the idea I have. If you don't empathize with that, if you don't support that kind of behavior, you're necessarily over time going to miss some really, really good ideas. I think there's a lot of takeaways today. Yeah, I think there is too. And I, you know, the other thing that I think a lot about, especially with the people that I work with is it's not that all leaders are a hundred percent control freaks, but most of us are pretty far up there <laughs> and yes. Type A, yeah, we'll, we'll admit it. Yeah. And so there's some really good benefits to that. And there's also some drawbacks. And if I had the opportunity to talk to a young leader who's about to have a difficult conversation, I think one of the first things I would say is let it be a little messy for just a minute. You don't know where this is going to go. And if you listen well, and you're curious, and you don't shout out some sort of socialized Tourette's epithet, you're going to keep your job, the other person's going to keep their job. But you've got the possibility of learning and going in a going in a really great direction. And being able to listen, and also being able to own whatever part of the difficult situation is due to your own behavior that creates trust. And that trust is something that will pay off in spades, even if they have a shitty idea, or maybe they've got a brilliant idea, but if you're not curious and you're not open and you're not, you're not allowing the possibility for your best laid plans to be a little messy, even for five minutes while they say what they have on their mind, 
that that can be a really really big miss i think yeah that's a really important thing to take note of and i wish i heard this earlier you know 10 years ago but i think it's you know to your point it's when you let it get a little bit messy there's this feeling of i'm losing control and and that wars against everything that <laughs> wars against every part of your soul when you're the one that feels like you have to be in control when you have to mm-hmm. be in charge and mm-hmm. so that's the hard part but yeah if you can if you can just kind of wade into that you know discomfort just a little bit a lot of really good things can happen i want to throw one more thing out there if anybody's still listening you get extra credit for checking out uh the the ladder of inference I think some people are familiar with it. Some people aren't like some people being Mike and I, and like you're familiar with it. Mike. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say I'm, I'm familiar with ladders. Uh, that's about it. The ladder of inference. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the ladder of inference basically goes from, you know, reality to what you decide on as an action. Okay. Hmm. And you can use it to look at your own behavior, your own choices and say, gee, how did I end up here? But you can also look at somebody else's behavior and say, how did you end up with this? Are we looking at reality? Are we look, you know, what did we edit out of reality? What are we assuming? How did that affect our beliefs? And then how did we act? And to be fair, I think, Sean, your story about considering the the new guy's idea of doing the Macarena on pit row every time they changed a tire... I imagine that really took into account the ladder of influence or inference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is almost like just a little yeah, mental, you know, mental gymnastics. And you can come up with a series of questions so that if somebody is bringing in an idea that challenges what you think, and maybe it feels a little messy and uh, I don't really know, relying on those questions <laughs> gives a control freak some structure that's actually beneficial. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Can you buy this ladder somewhere or do you have to? <laughs> well, I know Lowe's has specials on it, certain holidays. <laughs> I'll be on the lookout. If you see uh, if you see a good one, good sale on one, let me know. I imagine this is a topic we are going to revisit because I think it makes sense to talk about the difficult conversations in different contexts. Right. You know, yes, as a leader, but are you talking to somebody that is sort of, you know, above you in the organization, below you in the organization, a client, partner, sponsor? There's ethical, uh, underperforming. Yeah, there's so many different ways that you could, you know, that would fit under the, that umbrella. Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody talking about the difficult conversations once, and she said the sign of maturity is when you leave the habit of I'm willing to talk to you about this thing that you've always been wrong about and continue to believe. (laughs) Once that's no longer your, once that's no longer your point of view or your belief, then you can benefit from having the good conversation or the tough conversations. Folks, it's all a process. It's just one step after another. Yeah. Well, Um, I think we're around the bend on this one. Thank you for listening. I'm going to go back to just Mike Metcalf now instead of Michael Richard Metcalf Jr. since we've already had the tough conversation. I think we need to talk about that. (laughs) 
Have a good night, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. See y'all.